Hello and welcome to the Heredity Podcast with me, Dr. James Bergen. Fish farming, or aquaculture, is an important source of animal protein, and that importance is only growing as the human population does the same. Unfortunately, aquaculture is highly susceptible to outbreaks of infectious disease. So, in today's episode, we're exploring ways to counter this problem. As we discussed the recent Heredity paper, multiple interacting QTLs affect disease challenge survival in common carp. So, let's jump right into it and meet our authors. Uh, my name is Leo David. I'm a group leader at the Faculty of Agriculture of the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. And I've been uh, studying fish genetics for quite a long time. And this is my main research interest. And I'm Roni Tadmorlev. And at the time of the research, I was a student in uh, Dr. Leo David's lab. And uh, currently, I'm a postdoc in the National Natural History Collections and the Fish Collection. Perfect. Well, welcome both to the Heredity Podcast. To start off with, this paper is really focused around infectious disease in aquaculture. And you were kind of just mentioning there, this is like one of your main research topics. So maybe you could just tell us what aquaculture is and why you have focused so much of your research on it. Okay, so in general, aquaculture is the fastest growing sector in producing protein from animals. And what is also very uh, important about aquaculture is that usually it provides food to people in places where other protein uh, from uh, animal sources is not so available. So most of aquaculture is more traditional and done in many ways in different parts of the world, including in many parts of the less developed countries. But what is more disadvantageous is that uh, aquaculture conditions are very hard to control. And some of the biggest problems we run into in aquaculture are diseases, mainly infectious diseases, that uh, spread very fast and are very hard to control. We don't have good measures to control diseases, and finding solutions is a huge challenge. Yeah, no, it sounds like it's an incredibly important area for feeding a growing population. And and one thing that's interesting there is you're talking about the diseases. And in this paper, you focused in on carp aquaculture. It's not an area of aquaculture I've ever heard before. So how important is carp aquaculture? And are there any particular infectious diseases that are important in this area? So actually, you never heard of carp aquaculture because in uh, where you live, not many people eat carp. This is true. But... Uh, <laughs> In the more uh, poor areas of the world, carp is a very important fish and a very important source for protein. It's uh, relatively easy to grow and grows in many conditions. And it's actually one of the top five produced fish in the world. So its production is uh, several tenfolds more than the more common fish that uh, the Western or European countries consume. It is much, much bigger industry than the salmon or the trout industry. And uh, it is very widely distributed. And again, most uh, importantly, in places with low income. Yeah, perfect. I mean, you, you kind of set up perfectly there why this is such an important area to research. Um, I had no idea it was such a big area of food production. So you were looking at essentially infectious diseases in carp aquaculture. So I wonder if you could just explain exactly what it was in the study that you were looking at and aiming to find out. So there are many ways to go about how to um, address the problem of diseases in aquaculture. And the way which we chose to study is to develop strains that are genetically resistant to infectious diseases. There are other ways, like developing vaccines, And in some cases, not so much in viruses, but for bacterial diseases, 
drug development is also uh, a possibility. But again, from all these options, developing resistant strains that you can just breed them and forget about the disease is probably the best solution, the most sustainable solution. It takes more time to develop, but it pays at the end. And it's supposed to be a long-term solution to the problem. It is fascinating because I think most people would consider drugs or vaccines as the primary approach for tackling infectious disease. So how do you go about breeding a disease-resistant fish? What was it you were doing in this study? So we are just one example of one fish species and one type of disease. But there are many, many fish species grown in aquaculture. Actually, over 300 species are grown under aquaculture. So there are also very different diseases to different species. And that means that in terms of developing genetic resources and breeding, we have to do it for each species and sometimes for each and every disease separately. So this is a huge task, but in aquaculture, disease resistance is among the top-ranked breeding goals in order to have a more sustainable aquaculture. And traditionally, there have been many ways to do breeding, starting from the traditional selective breeding of fish that are resistant to be parents for the next generation. But in the recent years, when we develop more the molecular tools, then we started using DNA markers that are associated with genes that control resistance to help us select the more resistant fish. And in the last few years, we also do genome-wide variation characterization of resistant and susceptible fish, and we use genomic selection, which is a method to just look at the genotype and select based on the genotype those fish that would be most resistant and select those as parents for the next generation. It's fascinating. And I guess focusing on this specific study, what was it that you were doing and what was it you were finding? So breeding is just one route in which we go. And this is the practical route that we chose to solve the problem of uh, disease resistance, in this case, in cup with the koi herpes virus. But when we use markers or when we do genomic selection, these more um, advanced methods to breed for resistant fish, we actually don't ask ourselves what is the genetics that underlie these traits. What makes these fish resistant? And in this study, what we wanted to do is to study more in depth what are the genes or what, are, what is the genetic architecture that underlies the resistance to this particular disease. And so we use the method using several tens of thousands of polymorphisms of variations in the carb genome to identify regions in the genomes. We call them QTLs, quantitative trait loci, that actually control the phenotype, in this case, control resistance in fish. To do that, we have developed a very unique and reliable method to say which fish is resistant and which one is not. So we have a control infection model in our lab that we can expose fish to the disease in a controlled way and do several replicates for each of the families that we produce in order to determine which fish is more resistant than the other and so that we can have better estimate of what are the resistant fish and what are the susceptible fish and then we can compare them not only for the phenotype, but also for the markers, for the DNA markers, and try to identify those markers and those regions in the genome that actually control resistance. 
I think that one of the unique things that we did in this study and in all of our studies is that as a source for resistance, we don't use the cultured strains which suffer from the disease and are by definition susceptible to it, but we use a feral strain which is naturally resistant and we use it as a source for our resistance, both the phenotype and we are looking for the resistance genes that it may contribute. No, that's fascinating. So is that a feral strain that was previously in aquaculture and has escaped and evolved resistance on its own? So this feral strain is not used currently for aquaculture, and it is probably a result of some aquaculture strains that escaped to nature and crossbred with the natural populations of carp in, in Eastern Europe. So it's always a question of how do you get resistance? So when you see the problem of disease outbreaks, that means your fish are susceptible. So then the question is, where do you get resistance to solve the problem? And we looked for resistance in feral strains, in those strains that are not used for aquaculture, and that's where we found it. Oh, fantastic. I mean, it sounds like a really interesting setup. And I wonder, were you able, through this process, to actually identify regions of the genome involved in disease resistance? So during this research, when we used the ten thousands of markers, we tried to associate each and every marker and find if the polymorphism in this marker has any association to resistance. And when I say resistance, I actually mean survival, whether the fish survived or died during our experiment. And using these associations, we found two regions in the genome that were highly associated with the survival trait. I may add that in a previous study that we did before and we used a different method, we already identified one other region that is associated with this resistance or survival trait. And another thing is that the carp is a very interesting model in the sense that it has a duplicated genome. It is actually contains double the number of chromosomes compared to other carps. Which means that for uh, almost every gene in the genome, we have not only one copy, but two copies. So we also looked at the other copy of the gene that we found before. So altogether in this study, we looked at four different regions of the genome. Two that we have identified using the markers in this study. One that we identified before and the duplicated region for the one that we previously identified. Okay, fantastic. And all four of these regions appear to be involved in increased disease survival. Yes, all four of them and also combinations of them. Uh, we also looked into epistatic uh, to gene-gene relationships or uh, QTL-QTL relationships. And we found that for most of the genes in some families, the combination of which alleles you have in a set of more than one gene are contributing to whether a fish will survive or not. What we had is four regions of the genome that we associated them in one or the other family that we studied. So that happens a lot uh, in, in such studies that you find a genomic region that is associated in a certain family. But in order to make sure that uh, your finding is really relevant and true, then what we did is we took 14 different families that we have in hands and we try to verify or validate the findings of the first family in the rest of the families. And so for all these four regions, we actually screened through 14 families and looked at whether 
any given of these four regions associated with resistance in each and every family. And the first interesting finding was that each of these regions was associated with resistance, but not in all of the families. In some of them it did, in some of them it didn't. And altogether, in each and every family, we couldn't find more than two of the four that were associated with resistance, which means that these genes, depending on what alleles or what forms they have in the genome, can contribute or not in different families. And this is a very typical situation that you find in traits that are conditioned by many genes. And this contributes to the complexity of identifying what is the genetic basis of, uh, of such phenotypes, because in each and every family, based on the genetic background, different genes can make the difference. Yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting, because it does sound as though you found some really important regions of the genome, but it's a very complicated genetic trait. And I, I wonder what you think this or the big message in this paper is and how you think it might impact studies on disease resistance in aquaculture moving forward. So I think that there are two uh, main or, or major uh, take-home messages. One is that in some cases, this is not always like this, but in our case, the resistance was a complex trait. It has a very complex genetic basis, which means that uh, it could be very daunting to identify all these places in the genome and all these genes that contribute to resistance. One way to maybe circumvent this complexity is forget about what is the genetic basis and do breeding programs that are based on genomic selection that can help improve resistance without really knowing what are we changing in the genome by breeding. But if you're interested in, in knowing what are the genetics or what are the genes that associate with resistance and maybe understand better what is the function of these genes, then you have to um, have careful study. You have to have a very careful system where you can measure accurately the phenotype, whether a fish is resistant or susceptible. Then you have to use a lot of markers and you have to use more genomic resources like the uh, a very good genome sequence and uh, an annotation or, of, of the genes in the genome to actually identify those genes that contribute to, uh, to resistance. The benefit of, of going uh, uh, deeper and trying to identify these genes is that once you find genes that are important for resistance, then those genes could be uh, also important for resistance in other fish and in other and for other diseases. Mm, definitely, that that is a very good point, and hopefully that is a good encouragement for people to go and and give this paper a read and really learn from it. So I wonder if you could just uh, remind us of what your paper is called, and also tell us about your co-author who isn't here with us. The article was um, was titled "Multiple Interacting QTLs Affect Disease Challenge Survival in Common Carp, Cyprinus Scorpio." On this research, we had also Professor Gideon Hulata collaborating who now retired, and he uh, studied carp genetics for many years, uh, and he uh, was helping him in order to get to these results. Perfect. Well, thank you both for taking the time to speak to us. Thanks to Ronnie and Lior. If you want to read their paper, you can find it on the Heredity website. That's nature.com forward slash hdy. And if you're in the mood for some lighter genetics chat, why not head over to Genetics Unzipped with Dr. Katarni? 
genetically modified organism, or GMO, is a loaded term. Thanks to all the misinformation swirling around on the internet and in the wider media, there's a lot of confusion about what GMOs are, why they're created, and whether they're safe or even a good idea at all. But while misleading headlines about frankenfoods may grab attention, there's a much richer and more nuanced story to be told. In this episode from our centenary series exploring 100 ideas in genetics, we're looking at mergers and acquisitions, but in a biological rather than a financial sense. We look back at the history of genetic engineering, from the first restriction enzymes to today's genetically modified organisms. We find out what happens when two cells decide to move in together, and bleat on about the story of Dolly the Sheep. Genetics Unzipped is brought to you by the Genetics Society. Listen and download from geneticsunzipped.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I do hope you're enjoying the Genetics Society's other podcast as much as I am. But for us, that's it. You can subscribe to the Heredity Podcast on all good podcast platforms. And to keep up to date with the goings-on of Heredity, why not follow us on Twitter at Heredity Journal. If you want to get in touch with me directly, you can also drop me an email at hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. I'm James Bergen. Tune in next time.